Hi, I'm Paul Knullos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams on the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. And live from Kudos Bank Arena, it's the Breeze Pod! (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to Shooting the Breeze. We are live from Kudos Bank Arena, and it's a very special show today. We've got some special guests joining us, um, and we'll also be having a look at the um, we'll be having a look at the WNBL season, which we're about halfway through, and in just a couple of hours, the Flames are going to be taking on the UC Caps for the third time. Jacinta, before we start getting into everything, first question, how was Christmas? Christmas for me, Paul, was honestly probably the most low-key day I've had in 2022. Okay. Yeah. You know, you'd usually expect Christmas to be stressful, busy, too social, where the next day you'd have to go back into your introvert shell. For me, it was quiet. I just went to my sister's house, just immediate family. Uh, My niece and nephew are now teenagers, so they're more on the antisocial side of family (laughs) gatherings where they'll just eat and go back to their room. And they were pretty tired, I'll be fair. So, yeah, it was actually very low-key. How how was your Christmas? Yeah, Christmas was pretty good. There was, you know, um, I had family in from interstate, which was great, so got to catch up with people we haven't seen for a while. It got a bit busy, but it was good to kind of relax uh, after the day was over and just take it easy. So, yeah, it was pretty good, all all things considered. Um, Now, let's talk about just uh, the game that's coming up shortly. Uh, It's going to be a really interesting game, I think. You know, so far, the Flames have have beaten their Caps in each meeting so far. Um, But I'm pretty sure the Caps are going to be really wanting to get a W um, out of this out of this third game from the series. Uh, I reckon that the big question, though, is if Alison Schwagmeyer-Belger is going to take the court. She has warmed up the last couple of games. Um, so I'm kind of really curious about that one. Yeah, me too. And I think the rest of the WNBL fandom, especially Caps fans, are going to be wondering the same because uh, I was really excited to hear that she was coming. It was very unexpected but very needed. But like you said, she still hasn't hit the court uh, other than past the warm-up. And the reports that I've heard on the grapevine is that she did come with a niggly injury, but my gut tells me, or my gut wonders, was it actually a visa issue? Yeah, it's always possible. Because I remember her saying at, at one point that um, she should be playing just after Christmas. So, you know... Uh, unless she's just waiting for clearance on whatever that niggly injury was. Yeah, no, that's right. And um, it is, you know, Friday the 30th. It is technically just after Christmas and it's New Year's Eve Eve. Yeah. Uh, So hopefully, you know, our Christmas and our New Year's Eve wishes will be answered and we'll see her on court today because the other big question mark is whether Emily Whittle-Harmon's going to suit up today because... I've also heard whispers that her knee injury might be more serious than we first anticipated. Yeah, that wouldn't be good for them. <coughs> but the other thing is also, Mary reminded me before the pod that it was three months ago we did our last live pod from this venue 
with Megan Husswaite at the FIBA Women's World Cup. You know, it's kind of surprising. It doesn't feel like it's been three months on one hand, but it also feels like the World Cup was so long ago. Yeah, because I think we've, the World Cup in itself was such a monumentous occasion and we did so much in such a short period of time and that always makes the estimate of time a little bit warped. But uh, it is really serendipitous that we are doing our live pod in the same venue. Um, you know, the guys at Hoops Capital have been very kind to us to let us come in early and set up and uh, have all of our needs met. But um, I do like those full circle moments that we can come back here and do it again. Oh, absolutely. Now, the other thing is, we are joined today, apart from some very loud background and noise, <laughs> we've got a very special guest joining us now, the president of the Sydney Flames, Victoria Denham. Victoria, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's such a vibe already considering it's just warm-up time and we can see all the people hard, like hard at work getting some of the activation stuff in preparation for the big doubleheader today. But um, yeah, like I said, it's very great to have you on the pod and live from Kudos Bank Arena. So thanks for joining us. Um, it wasn't too long ago you were announced as the president of the Sydney Flames, which is great to see another female uh, in a leadership role, especially in a male-dominated sporting industry. Um, so we wanted to invite you on as well to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role and uh, let our fans um, kind of have a bit of a deeper dive into what we can expect for the Flames for the rest of the season. So just tell us a little bit more about how it was that you came to the Sydney Flames and why, of all the associations, did you pick the Flames? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, despite my accent, I am from Sydney. Um, spent a long time in the US, but but we can get there. I think, um, you know, for me, it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, my family joined the Hoops Capital Ownership Group in April, um, and the Flames are such an uh, important part of the Hoops Capital strategy and, and in making sure that uh, basketball touches kind of all reaches of life in Sydney. And what did you know before your family became part of Hoops Capital? What did you know about the Flames? Yeah, you know, um, honestly, I'd be lying if I said I was an expert. Um, it's, it's definitely something I'm trying to upscale myself on. Uh, I keep meeting incredible players who have played for the Flames and, and trying to learn the history book that is. Um, unfortunately, you know, there doesn't seem to be too much of a, of a you know, book that I can just read, but, but meeting people and hearing stories. Um, I remember, you know, the first week that we were in the ownership group, I was sitting with Graffy and Tim Z in uh, a game at Melbourne, and they were talking about their time up in Sydney. Um, and so, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible organization, and, and we're definitely looking to, you know, bring it up to kind of the Hoops Capital family and, and really elevate the brand. Yeah, Graffy and Timsy are two of the biggest names that you'll come across in Australian women's basketball. In Australian basketball, I should say, not just women's basketball. Did Timsy happen to tell you about the season where they went undefeated to win a championship? She did not mention that. Uh, she, she and Graffy just had a lot of jokes about how much fun they had while they were up here. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised they are, to your point, two incredible basketballers. Yeah, she's uh, still humble, Timsy. If it were me, I'd be bragging about that championship win. Uh, any stories so far since your time with the Flames really stand out? 
myself. Yeah, I mean, not... honestly, just the incredible amount of people I've met. Um, I had the opportunity <laughs> of, of meeting a fellow podcaster, Chloe Dalton, and, and you know, she started her basketball career here in the Flames. Um, so, you know, uh, there's definitely just the people is, is probably the real standout um, and, you know, the, the history of this organization. So tell us and uh, a lot of our loyal listeners what your role as president of the Flames involves. Yeah, great question. Um, I think part of it I'm still mapping out, but, but you know, really excited about elevating this brand. You know, I think part of my role is, is really tied to my vision for the club. You know, I really want the Flames to be a household name in Sydney. I think, you know, a lot of people who aren't necessarily basketball fans have heard of the Kings, but, you know, a lot of people who aren't necessarily basketball fans have not heard of the Flames. Um, and so for me, that's a real challenge and, and, you know, really exciting opportunity to kind of bring the Flames to that kind of mainstream. I think the WNBL and, and women's basketball is taking a huge leap and off the back of the World Cup, um, you know, trying to uh, get into that kind of mainstream audience. And, and so for me, that's a real important part of it is is kind of championing the brand of the Flames, um, as well as, you know, elevating the program. You know, we haven't had the most success on court in the last few years, um, which, you know, this organization has had a lot of success. You can see the Flames banners up in the rafters. So I uh, would love to hang another one of those. Yeah, and you make a really good point coming off the back of the FIBA Women's World Cup. That was held here exactly where we're sitting. And despite being the most successful FIBA Women's World Cup to date, um, I think our experience as, as hardcore fans is different to those of the mainstream sporting fans. And I don't, I still don't think the FIBA Women's World Cup, while it was in Sydney, broke through to the mainstream. So um, what are, some, are you able to give us some insight on what you plan for the Flames to help break them into the mainstream? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it um, and a lot of my ideas obviously are biased from my background. But for me, a real opportunity is tying in the flames with the you know business community and especially the tech and, and female founders community. Uh, those are both communities I, I really uh, love and are both, you know, unfortunately suffer from a lot of the same things in, in not being mainstream and being really underfunded. And so bringing together these two kind of workhorses, uh, love the, love the excitement, <laughs> fun women's sports, yeah. um, uh, you know, in bringing together those two groups of people, I think there's a real opportunity. And then also just trying new and different things. I think as someone coming from outside of the sports world, being a lifelong fan, having the opportunity to kind of try some things that, that maybe people who have been in basketball for 20 years wouldn't think of or try. Yeah, because you mentioned, uh, I really like how you mentioned bringing some of the tech world and startups, because is that, correct me if I'm wrong, is that part of your background before you came into the sporting world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most recently, I uh, was working with the High Growth Ventures team uh, at KPMG and, and really focused on supporting founders and helping them scale. Um, and previous to that, you know, have always been kind of working with that group of people in, in terms of helping them expand, especially globally um, and especially into the U.S. And so for me, you know, that's kind of the hat and bias I probably over-index on is, is technology and, and founders. And I think there's so many similarities between that uh, and sports and, and especially women's sports. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people would really draw a lot of comparisons and similarities between women's sport and startup and tech. So what are some of the similarities you've experienced so far? You've dipped your toe in both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. I think both groups of people, you know, athletes, especially female athletes, 
Yes, and, and founders are, are definitely taking a risk. Um, oh, and the lights are out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, are, are really big risk takers. You know, a lot of the women, especially, um, you know, currently WNBL players, you know, you're, you're taking a risk and investing in yourself to play at an elite level, but you're probably not going to, uh, you know, be able to fund your life for, for the rest of your career, unfortunately. I think, uh, you know, startup founders are inherently big risk takers. You know, most startups fail, right? So if you're working really hard at, at building something, you hope it succeeds, but you're also, you know, inherently taking that risk that it might not. Um, you know, I, I always think, and, you know, I, I'm biased. I grew up in the Bay Area, but the, the way the Warriors are run, they're all venture and tech founders that have funded that program and, and the ability for them to kind of uh, resonate with athletes and, and kind of bring those two communities in the Bay Area has worked really, really well. Um, and I think, you know, Sydney is a tech hub and, and would love to see some of that kind of um, collaboration more between the sports world and the tech world and especially basketball and women's basketball. Yeah, it sounds like a really uh, untapped industry and uh, like we said, two, two totally different worlds. You wouldn't uh, really expect that there'd be so many parallels between the two. And I think what, um, just based on what you're talking about, something, another similarity that kind of stands out to me so far is that fans of women's basketball are very loyal. And uh, once they have that meaningful engagement with their team, they're going to be a fan for lifelong. And I feel like when someone invests in a startup, for example, a big startup that started in Sydney by two people from Western Australia is Canva. Yeah. Um, and they had, you know, a lot of important investors early and it became a unicorn. Yep. That's the right term, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a unicorn. Yeah, see, I know some tech stuff. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, once you're stuck in, you know, you get involved with something like Canva so early, you're kind of in it for the lifelong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the greatest tech success stories are the ones that have had really sticky fan bases and, and been able to, you know, make products that people want to use. And I think, you know, women's basketball is, is a very uh, enjoyable game. And when people see it, they want to keep watching it. It's just getting them through the door to see it. And now you did mention the Warriors and, uh, you know, the Bay Area and the tech startup and, and that kind of collaboration. However, you are a Boston Celtics fan. Like myself and Paul, as you mentioned off air, you were outnumbered as a Lakers fan. <laughs> yes, definitely. Is there anything? Now, you did study for four years in Boston, and we talked off air as well about how you got to go to some Celtics games that were both great and more accessible for other reasons. Rebuilding, rebuilding. Um, and now, from the fan experience of being in Boston, you know, as a lot of our listeners will know, being at Boston and Boston Gardens is iconic in basketball history, not just NBA history. Being a fan and being able to access, you know, so many live games firsthand, is there anything from that experience you can take into your into your role and what you can plan for the Flames as well? Boston fans are, are very loyal and diehard, right? Even in those rebuilding years, there are still many people in the garden. Um, and so I think for me, it's just creating that experience that fans want to come to and, and, you know, yes, would love a winning product and, and we plan to build a winning product. But, you know, in the meantime, creating a fan base that, that loves the team and is passionate about the Flames. Oh, hashtag bleed green. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> you know, Boston, get a WNBA team. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and like, I mean, you obviously, when we were talking off air and you can hear it in your voice now, you're obviously very passionate about basketball, but how did basketball come to your life in the first place? Like, when was it 
you know, how did it start for you? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think uh, I was probably born, born into being a basketball fan. I don't ever actually remember becoming one. My bro older brother is a very big basketball fan. And, uh, you know, I think from the time I was born, he was kind of indoctrinating me to love basketball. Um, I think once we moved to the U.S. as well, it's just everywhere, right? Um, especially from a uh, girl, like young girl growing up playing sports, basketball was really like the sport to play. Um, so yeah, just kind of grew up loving it, playing it not very well, but um, uh, and just, you know, never let go of it. And uh, who was your, growing up, who were some of the teams and players your brother used to follow growing up and kind of was putting on you? Because I've got my own kind of stories as well from my older brother. Yeah, you know, great question. I know my brother was a massive Michael Jordan fan and a massive Shaq fan. Um, but he, his favorite player, uh, you know, this might be a real one for the, the NBA heads out there, was Sharif Abdurrahim from the then Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, so, you know, grew up knowing that name that, you know, not a lot of basketball fans do know, but, but watching back Hardwood Classics, he was definitely a great player. Wow, some of our friends that do another podcast called Throwback Group, they are real, like, encyclopedias of... 90s, early 2000s NBA. I think they will definitely appreciate that reference. But for me, my brother was also an influence of how I got into basketball. He was a big uh, Orlando Magics fan. Posters of Shaq and especially Penny Hardaway, Anthony Hardaway. So uh, interesting that we have the parallels of our siblings influencing us. But um, I think just to, before we wrap it up, what uh, now that you've been back in Australia, what is your perception of Australia fits in the sporting landscape in Australia. Next to, you know, how it fits next to NRL, you know, especially in Sydney, next yeah. to NRL, Sydney Swans. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. I think we have a really unique perspective being the only same city NBL team that has a WNBL team as well, or vice versa, however you want to um, switch it, um, which obviously the AFLW and NRLW model is really piggybacking the men's program and the women's program and so uh, we kind of come at it from a different approach but have that kind of same um, lens in, in terms of comparing them. I think uh, the real challenge for us is is the WNBL and NBL as leagues are run so differently and so finding things that work in one league might not necessarily work in the other. Um, I do think that you know basketball is inherently and is growing in popularity um, among everyone but I think you know, fans often look to the U.S., you know, myself included, yourself included. And so I think it really is just about bringing awareness. And, and the WNBL has the greatest, you know, talent because WNBA players can play over here, right, um, which will never happen in the men's game. And so I think just, like, getting the stories out of the incredible athletes that we have and, and you know, being able to showcase, like, some of the best women's basketball in the world is, is right here in your backyard in Sydney, I think um, is a real unique opportunity that we can take advantage of. Okay, now definitely last one. On Instagram, before every WNBL game, I like to put up a poll okay. to see what well, my followers and friends of who they're picking. So, Flames Caps is going to tip off very soon. Who you got? I got the Flames, you know. you know, We are uh, not overly confident. I think sometimes, you know, when you've beat a team twice, it, it's easy to be overly confident. But I know the Capitals are, are going to be coming out for our heads. So, you know, I'm confident, but but I think we've got a battle ahead of us. Awesome. But yeah, Victoria, it's been an absolute pleasure learning about your story and taking time for us here at live at Kudos Bank Arena. So thank you so much for being a guest on our live pod. 
Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Victoria. It's been great to have you. Thank you, guys. Okay. So before we get our next guest on, um, let's have a little bit of a talk about the um, the season because I realised, you know, we're halfway through. Yeah, I know. What? How did that happen? Yeah, I know. It's kind of... <laughs> I'm still getting used to it. Yeah. I'm still getting used to the league being happening, still getting used to, oh, yeah, i got to put up my Instagram posts and all that kind of stuff, uh, and apparently it's halfway through. Yeah, and i got to say, um, some of the results that we've seen this season have been pretty, pretty spectacular. But more importantly, I've got to say, I am really surprised. I mean, we already knew that Bendigo were going to be strong, mm. but... I don't think either of us thought that they were going to be this strong. No, no. I think I, you're right. We knew they were going to be strong. And as soon as I knew uh, Coach Kennedy had signed with Bendigo and that the likes of Kelly Wilson, KG23, Alicia Froling had followed him from Caps. Yeah. And Bendigo had existing core players from last year that ended last season on such a high that was already going to be a good a recipe for some good team chemistry and a strong team. But going, what was it, 6-0, and 7-0 to start the season? 7-0. and 7-0, breaking the previous Bendigo record for yep. uh, um, opening season winning streak. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw that coming. No, no. And, and the other thing that surprised me a little bit this season is that Southside actually haven't performed to the level that we thought before the season started. Yeah, it, that's true as well. It's interesting that they did take a lot of time to adjust considering their personnel, mm. especially on the defensive end. Uh, I mean, Sarah Blissars has, you know, been on the WNBL show recently again saying that that is an area that they need to improve, um, which, yeah, is really surprising. But I think everyone focuses on that team about their offensive firepower, which has only really just started to click. And we saw that potential against against Bendigo, yeah. and that was scary. That That is the actual firepower potential that the Flyers have on the offensive end. Um, but, yeah, you can't live and die by that. You have to play both ends of the floor, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, now, obviously, you know, we've got a game coming up here in about an hour and a half between the Caps and the Flames. Um, I'm really curious. What do you think is, is this, this game going to be like? Because... You know, I th- I'm finding that the, the Caps have actually been fighting hard. They stay close, and I think they just seem, they tend to run out of puff in the fourth quarter. And I think it's because they are actually, you know, they're, they're short on, on, on their roster. And as we said, you know, Alison Schwagmeyer Bolger is, is here, but she hasn't taken the floor yet. And she's got the potential to be a real impact player for them. Yeah, the poor Caps. Uh, I think, first of all, I think this game is still going to be close. But I think um, I'm, I'm, I think the Flames are probably going to come away with the win. But I still think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be quite gritty and hard fought. Um, I'm expecting another physical game, but hoping that the referees this game will let the game flow a little bit more compared to the last time these two teams met. Now, don't. <laughs> Want to <laughs> hope that, have that? As, I know it's a bone of contention because it ma- honestly it makes the game boring. Yeah, look, Flat out, it does. But also, I mean, that was 
I, I mean, we, we still haven't got an answer to what's the biggest, no, the, mm. the, the most number of fouls called in a half in a WNBL game. I'm close. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say that has to be close to, close. Surely at least close to the most. It'd have to be. I mean, 20, 29 fouls is a lot of fouls to be calling, and it really disrupts the game and the game flow. And yeah, you're right. For the fans, it makes it kind of well boring. It's boring. Yeah. I don't want to watch it. Uh, just get on with it. Yeah. But to be blunt, but. <laughs> I think for the Caps, it has just been, uh, you know, one of the pillars of the Opals and something that Graffy instilled in her teams is handling adversity. And adversities has been the theme this season for the Caps. They started straight off the bat in a, they admittedly in a rebuilding phase, yep. lots of young talent. Then the young talent has been injured. Then they've had new people come in. They've had new people leave. They've had new people come in and haven't taken the floor. It's, it's been a season of instability for them. And I think the fact that they're still coming out and playing their absolute hardest every yep. game, despite all this, uh, despite the very loyal fans at times, you know, rightfully getting quite upset with what, with the result, I understand. Yep. But I think all things considered, you have to give credit to them for that. And uh, the thing for me that I'm trying to work out what it is that's not working, and I'm going to be completely honest, but the, the way I see it is that they have a young team and perhaps young, talented players that need to refine their maturity and decision-making in that sense of skill. Yep. And I feel like at the same time, they perhaps have too much responsibility and they don't have another... Uh, more experienced player that they can use as a role model to help shape those skills. Then the yeah. other side for me is that Ray Burrell, sure, putting up great numbers. The times, though, that she's getting those great numbers is when she's deviating from the game plan and just doing her own thing. Yeah, that, that's that's a good observation. And, you know, when the team is in that situation, in that sort of scenario, the problem is it's easy to want to go off and do your own thing. Mm. But when you do go off and do your own thing, particularly when you do have a young, a young team like that, it does make it hard for them to be able to adjust. They just don't have the experience to be able to start, start adjusting on the floor on the fly. And it makes this learning, you know, decision-making is still a skill. So it makes refining that skill of decision-making on the fly as a player more difficult because it's like, well, my coach is telling me to do one thing, but then, you know, our import and our other best players are going off doing their other thing and there's that con- an added confliction that is uh, really not needed and, and really hindering in there, for the, especially for the cap situation for some of the emerging talent. Yeah. But that being said, I mean some of the some of the younger oh, some of the some of the younger players um, do have been stepping up. Jade Melville has really had some amazing numbers, and I think in a lot of cases she's been carrying a large a large portion of the weight on her shoulders. That being said, even though it's tough for someone of her age to be able to do, to need to do that, she's been able to step up, and I think the maturity that she's getting this season is going to hold her in good stead going forward. Yeah, no, I t- that's a really, really good point, and I think even though it looks, uh, even though it is really tough right now, and there's a lot of instability, uncertainty, and probably, you know, lots of different voices in in different in their ears at at some times. Um, I feel like in the long run, all of these hard lessons learned early is definitely going to pay off for her career in the long run. Yeah, it's it's been really tough for her. I, I really want. I really. The thing is, I hope 
that she doesn't get frustrated with this and look at moving to another team. Because I think, you know, she's she's come up through the Canberra system and I, I get that this is a frustrating season. One of the other players that I've seen frustration on her face during the game has been Bunce. You know, there's been times where you just see she's so frustrated because the pieces are there and it just doesn't seem to be happening. And when they are getting the opportunity to get in towards the bucket, they're just not dropping for them. No. And you know what? Speaking of bunts, I think I've tweeted every second Caps game, get the ball to bunts. Yeah. The Caps look better when the ball goes through bunts' hands, when she gets more touches. And of all the tweets that we have tweeted this season that have had <laughs> some kind of other impact, whether it's with our friends, fans, the league, whatever, yep. you know, the triple-double conversation, yep. the one that hasn't translated is getting Bunts the ball. Get us some more touches. Someone, please. Yeah, because the, the, the truth is that if you're actually watching the game, you sort of watch off the ball. She's always really positioning herself well to be able to take, take the ball and get it into the bucket from the paint. And she's not someone who, she's not what we call a black hole. She's no. not going to be someone where she's like, oh, I have to shoot it every time because I might not get the ball again. She's going to be sticking to the game plan. She's going to be leading by example of doing the right thing. Just get, get her the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, I've got to be honest, this season's been a bit strange because one of the things that I've noticed, and you and I spoke about this, is... I've been noticing there's been a high level or a higher level of frustration amongst fans about stuff going on in the league. Not just the games, but just generally. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think part of it is because they're so passionate about the league, they want to see the league do better and then stuff happens, right? You know, like the issues earlier in the season with the broadcast, with, you know, other things that have happened, that the frustration levels just seem to be going through the roof and let's just say they're not happy. Yeah, do you want me to say the <laughs> most recent example? Sure. <laughs> I've been trying to think of some kind of uh, slang term that we could um, throw uh, refer to it, uh, the yellow uniforms. Uh, I'm going to call it Raider Gate. Yeah, okay, Raider Gate it Raider is. Gate. <laughs> the Caps uh, travelling to the State Basketball Centre, playing the Flyers, travelling with the wrong kit and having to wear the Knox Raiders uniform. Okay, on the positive side, the uniforms look great. So I hope if we get a new WNBL team that they're going to be yellow because yellow looked great. Yeah, yellow did look great. And that font looked great. Great uniforms. Yep. If you're ever going to have to borrow a uniform, they were really nice uniforms yeah, they to were. borrow. Raider Gate, yes. So, yeah, when we were talking yesterday about this, my I understand the frustration of Raider Gate and the poor, you know, the negative connotations that it has for the league in a sense of the team doesn't travel with you know, that they didn't turn up with the right uniforms yep. and all that kind of stuff. I get it all. I get the frustration. I get that the w, our WNBL fans um, always just want the best for the league. However, I also feel that we are the first people to crucify the league for any tiny fault. Yeah. And me as a fan personally, this I don't identify with – I get cross at stuff too, but at the same time – I try and like, I've learned to try and have a think about the deeper. So it's not 
I get it's a reflection of the league of, you know, a team turning up with the wrong uniforms, but it's ultimately not the league's fault. Mm. It, you have to ask the, uh, the deeper questions of, okay, so why didn't the Caps have the right uniform? Yep. Why don't they travel with a manager? And if they're not traveling with a manager, who's doing the managerial things on game day? That, yep. to me, that's the bi- bigger reflection of when people call it an amateur league. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. And look, I also want to throw in there the fact that um, the south side, didn't have their other strip at the stadium. Mm. They were all the players because normally, or in the teams, the teams that I'm aware of, the the team manager is responsible for keeping all the the uniforms together, both strips, and they're normally held at the state at the home stadium, so that if anything happens, you've got a plan B. Um, that didn't seem to happen this time. It was apparently that they were all at the the uh, the players' homes. So a kind of, to me, it's like, it's, it's a comedy of errors, right? Frustrating as it is, I did see one comment on Twitter which was like, well, you know, what, what could they do? Well, so, well, you know, either they play in that strip or else th- what happens? There's no game. Mm. Um, you know, me personally, I'd rather see that. Frustrating as it is than not have the game played. Yeah, because you're damned, like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? Like if you you wear the wrong uniforms, you get you get in trouble from yep. the fans. You don't have, and then if you don't have, you get in trouble. Like what, in that situation, try and, you know, put the hat on of the people there in that situation, realising in a warm-up that that is what's going on. What would you do in that situation? You just yep. have to use whatever immediate problem-solving skills you have to make sure the game at least got played, yeah. whether they're wearing, uh, you know, Knox Raiders uniforms, whether they're wearing their warm-up tops, whatever. You just have to get it done on the day. So I think, like, it's yeah. a really frustrating situation and a frustrating outcome, but hopefully people would try and have a bit of a more deeper think into about the situation, what they would have done in the situation and, the, you know, how people would have been placed in that situation to have a bit more empathy about it. Because I just think we just, as fans, fly off the handle way too quickly. Uh, and I would encourage people to perhaps make a bit more noise when there's something to celebrate. Yeah. Because I also feel like the times particular fans online are tweeting or commenting or posting about stuff is when something negative happens. Just imagine if we took that same energy and into all the positive stuff about how much more we can promote the game, a women's game, how much more we can promote WNBL. It's just really interesting and a bit of a bugbear for me that the times where something small like this happens, we go off, but when something good happens, we don't make enough noise about it. Yeah, and look, I also want to say that admittedly, we're all aware there were issues with broadcast earlier this year. The league copped a lot of heat for that. What I didn't see was when they did when they did actually turn around and you know correct everything. I didn't see any reaction for the fans. No, and it was still kind of like, oh, you know, this isn't happening and this isn't happening. So it's just like, can we just give a little bit more praise of when the people doing the hard work have been getting it right? That's yeah, that's that's my big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So look, I, I think let's talk about the the, the up the, the remaining half of the season for a second. Based off of this, I think the the top four is looking pretty well set at this stage, mm. unless something goes you know drastically wrong. Um, it's not going to change. Uh, oh, I mean, the fight for fourth spot is still hard. I still, you know, probably being a little bit biased, but I still have hope that Adelaide is going to make a really strong run at the end of this season and really challenge teams to make that fourth spot. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's it has been – I mean, we've seen some excellent games. The one, you know, the, the Boomers-Lightning game. Yep. That went into overtime was spectacular. I'm <laughs> hoping was... to see a lot more of those types of games. Um, and I'm hoping to still see the teams that may, at some point of the season, you know, figure out they are going to stay at the bottom of the ladder, yep. but continue to challenge the teams at the top of the table, keeping them accountable, seeing if they can, like, rustle up the top four standings. Yep. Um, that's what I still want to see. Yeah, look, so do I. Um, I, I think, you know... Look, Adelaide, I think it'd be great to see him see get there, but they did part way with their import yesterday. Yeah, that was a surprise, actually. Um, I feel, I'm not too sure what happened in that situation. Um, yeah, that was a surprise. The official press release saying that she has gone home to focus on the next WNBA season. Yep. It's a shame because I feel like uh, Kirsten Bell was really starting to hit a stride. She looked like she was enjoying herself. Yep. Um, but I suppose perhaps, you know, sometimes players find themselves in the situations where they just got to make, change their priorities or for whatever reason. So it's a shame that her WNBL career was so short lived. So hopefully she will come back, but at some, you know, in, a, in the future, but yeah, yeah, that was a big surprise. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with, um, what happens with Adelaide and how they adjust. I mean, you, maybe they've got their eye on another, another import to be able to take a place, mm. uh, even though it's fairly late, well halfway through the season. So trying to be able to get that import in and try and make a run for that, that fourth spot, not sure that it's actually going to happen. But, you know, out of, out of all the teams, they're the team that really seems to have had the potential to get there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so <coughs> we're joined by our second guest, for the day, and that is Chris Prongrass, the CEO of the Sydney Flames and the Sydney Kings. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for both having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, it's kind of something that we've been wanting to, to do, is to have a conversation with you, um, particularly now that the, the TSC's had the Flames on board for a few seasons yep. now. Um, and let's be honest, you know, they have been frustrating seasons for some of the fans. Uh, the results that we would love to see the team get haven't been there. Um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the first things I'd like to get into is kind of the amount of change that's happened for the club and for the team in the peri- in the last three seasons. It's, it's, it's been a challenging past couple of years, I think, in pro sport generally, but... Yes, we, TSC, um, when they originally took over the team, it was right when COVID had started. We obviously had no idea where COVID would go from there. And 
that first season, it's hard to even say that that was a realistic season, right? They they went up to Queensland and were were away from we did we ne- we didn't get to be around any of the players. We didn't yeah. have a handle on how things were tracking, and so for us that year was was quite challenging to be in a hub and be away from the team. And their season finished, for example, before the men's even started. So it was kind of it was hard to be as involved. And then you know you come out and and look at last season and that was a brand new head coach you know we were still working through some changes with the overall strategy and integration with the overlay of the Kings and the Flames to have some shared resources and then we come to this season and I think we're in a much better place but yes the the, the performance hasn't shown in terms of the win-loss schedule, but I think we're growing into something bigger. So it's a long-term vision that I, 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 I agree, and I'm never one to shy away from the, the hard questions. But yeah, we haven't we haven't been able to deliver the, the number of wins that we want to as a club. So you mentioned last season. Now, we we kind of had a bit of a, a discussion. We've we've discussed last season a few times. One of the things was there was a huge changeover in the roster with the imports that obviously impacted the club. What what kind of what kind of drove those those changes? Was it that the players themselves weren't just kind of gelling with the overall system or was it something something else? A combination of things. I think there are a injury, you know, we, we had signed Le- Liana Odom before the season. She had an Achilles injury before the season started. And yes, while she hadn't flown out here, when we were looking to make a change for her, there was limited time before the season. A lot of the players have either got jobs in Australia or overseas in Europe. So the, the pool of, of imports that you're choosing from were much slimmer, right? Then, then Steph Watts was out here. She was playing great. She does her knee and is out for the season again. We're in season looking for another import. And at that point in time, it's your the ability to find the best person set for the team is coupled by what's available. You kind of have to take what's best available. And Chelsea and a couple of the others that we brought in, they were great pieces, but they didn't fit. And it also didn't fit with them. They got here and it wasn't the right fit. And they decided that they, they wanted to, similar to what you were just talking about with Adelaide, that it's a different situation where a team and a player, if there's a mutual parting of ways, that's not the right situation, then you part ways. But that was very frustrating last year. And a lot of those at the start were out of our control because I think if those two that we originally built around come in, I think it's a much different season. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think one of the issues for for most of the fans that we've spoken to is that they can see you kind of got all the, all, all the right pieces. Uh, you got... Great players, talented players. You've got um, a solid coaching staff. And it just seems like all the pieces of the puzzle aren't quite fitting together. And, I mean, I know as a fan it's frustrating. It must be frustrating for you as well. 100%. <laughs> and I, I, you want to give the fans something. to, And, and we've got great passion fans. Of course, they're still going to shift the team win, loss, draw, right? But... You want to deliver for them on the court. You want to win games. You want to make it enjoyable because everyone comes there to watch their team win. And so to not deliver wins, no matter what you're in, you, you strive to be the best. You strive to win. So it's it's killing me. It's killing Shane. It's killing Paul. It's, 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 it's killing Victoria. It's frustrating for the group to not be there. But I think you're right that 
we've got the pieces right there and it's tweaks and adjustments and things that may be out of our control and things that are that we've got to improve on. And I think that comes from, you know, building intellectual property within our group because I'm, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I'm also very raw to women's basketball, right? I've had yeah. past experience in the NBA and in men's basketball, but this for me is is... I'm slowly developing skills around identifying talent on the women's side, but I very much rely and trust our coaching staff who are more skilled. Shane, Shelley, Will, who have in-depth knowledge of this side. And I think that for me is building my understanding and growth in this game, but I'm more looking at it for more practical operational approach where I know roster construction and what works against the salary cap and the CBA and to help with that. And, and that's why I think Victoria plays an important part in that too. But... Um, I think for us it's going to be a combination of building that and utilising the pieces we have to, your, you're right, find the good combination um, that, that works and, and hopefully then that tinkers, tinkers over into, into wins. Now, you just mentioned that um, you had some NBA experience. Yes. Now, for the fans who don't know, right, and, I, and I'm sorry for saying this publicly, You've started off life as a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> I've got a, I've got, for the, I've had a very odd in, in integration into pro sport. So, yes. Right. And then you ended up at the Grizzlies. Yes. And you were there for, I think, five years six, or five, six, six years. Six, seven seasons, but six years, yes. Right. Okay. So, before you came to Australia here and, and the King's organisation, yep. TSA, do you want to just... Give us a, a, an overview of that journey because I'm sure there are people who just don't know this background for, about you. I would love to. Um, I haven't told this story in a while. It's a long story, so I'll tell the shortened <laughs> version. Maybe you both are offline. I can tell you the long version. Uh, so I, I'm from Sydney originally. So I grew up coming to Kings, coming to Flames games. I've, I've grown up playing, loving basketball. I realised very early on coming out of high school that but playing wasn't for me. I was good, but I wasn't that good. Um, actually played with the likes of Kev White, who's a very dear friend of mine, plays for Illawarra, but have always been around basketball and actually studied law solely with the intent never to practice, but to use it in a capacity to move into pro sport. Um, originally, I thought it was going to be on the agent side um, and actually had a connection coming out of university. I studied law, started practicing for a couple of years here in private practice in commercial and property law and just flooded my contact with emails trying to get my foot in the door in Memphis. He was the CEO at the time, Jason Levian, who's actually now the part owner of the Brisbane Bullets. Um, And Jason, after a year of me, I like to say... um, uh, email him very often but annoying him to the point where he <laughs> finally offered me a job. Persistent is that what I like to call it, but he might call it annoying. So finally after <laughs> after about, you know, 12 to 14 months of me emailing him every week, he decided to give me an unpaid internship in Memphis with the Grizzlies and and six months into that internship that turned into a full-time role that um, in the front office. I was originally doing the legal side but um, actually moved quite quickly into the director of basketball operations on the basketball side, handling the legal, uh, you know, the, the contract drafting, negotiations, salary cap, uh, pro personnel, roster construction, operations of the front office. So 
work very closely with a lot of um, very smart basketball minds and learnt a lot. And then six, seven years into my tenure there, I, I got introduced to Paul Kind, who's an, who's an owner of, of yep. TC, um, and alongside Paul Smith. And just as a connection, when I was coming back to Sydney and we started talking, he mentioned, oh, we're, you know, we're looking for Jim and CEO of the Sydney Kings. What are your thoughts? And I said, well, I, can I throw my hat in the ring? And the rest is history. So it was, for me, kind of full circle. And at the time, I was 30 years old at the time. So for me to come back and run the team, you know, in my home city, that I've grown up watching at that age. It was an opportunity I couldn't pass up because that's the other question that usually people follow with. Like, you left the NBA to come to the NBL and I was looking at a league that had, you know, grown and Andrew Bogut's playing for the team and has an ownership stake. I'm thinking this is this is no-brainer for me. So for, to then come in and, and adapt that role to accompany the Flames, I think is exciting for me that I'm able to use some of my knowledge and on the roster construction side to help shape the Flames roster, but also just trying to put good people in good positions that they can make those decisions. Cool. Short version. Short okay, version. that's <laughs> a short version. <laughs> um, you know, and kind of going to jump back and forth a bit here, we, we, when we look at the challenges over, over the last few seasons, and as you've said, you're... You're new to women's basketball, to the women's game. What is it that you've learnt out of out of this? What's different from your perspective? What's different from you know the king dealing with the kings to dealing with the flames? What's different? There's a lot of differences. Um, I think generally, and and I, it's it's hard to speak in generalisation, but. Generally, resourcing is a challenge in, I think we've seen in women's sport in Australia, but abroad, that we're looking to utilise the King's resources, what the King's were, and have them across both. So that's where Hoops Capital begun, right? Where the Kings and Flames both fall under that. So everyone that's employed is working across both entities. Right. So our head of ticketing and marketing is the head of ticketing and marketing for the Kings and the Flames. And I think that's important because we've got a luxury that most WNBL teams don't have where we've actually got a pool of resources that, you know, teams can't afford because I think that's the biggest challenge in this sport when you're playing in smaller arenas and trying to build fan base that's, you know, with a, a growing salary cap, it's, it's tough to keep up. And in a market where COVID was rife and kind of riddled through sports investment, yeah. then you're staring down the barrel of pretty steep losses being an ownership group and then we still are like I don't it's it's hard to talk for other teams but the, the Flames lose a significant amount of money each year and that's when we're lucky enough to have you know committed ownership group in in Paul Smith and the Denholm family and Andrew Bogut now Luke Longley that want to support and see the Flames do well and women's sport do well but particularly women's basketball so I think resourcing is the biggest challenge um but for me, it's it's continuity. <laughs> if I'm looking at purely from a roster standpoint, it's a it's a revolving door of one year contracts around the league. It's you kind of see you see some players stick around in their home cities, but people will not wanting to sign multi year deals because of the you know I guess comfort of wanting to play well and jump to a better opportunity. Mm. So that for me is when I'm coming in, I, I I've tried to shape the Kings with a level of um, 
continuity with our roster. There's six or seven returning players every year, um, and some of them have been here now four or five years. Whereas the Flames, I, I, I do want to build that, but, but players and agents also wanting to take one-year deals to see if the grass is greener. And yeah. so I think that, for me, was kind of shocking that I was also trying to get an understanding of, wait, what do you, I'm, I want to give you... <laughs> I want to give you more more comfort that you're going to be here longer term, and yeah. so that for me was was challenging, and also just trying to understand the contract status of other players around the league and who's coming up for free agency. I like to plan things well in advance, and um, that's you know you're kind of thrown the free agent list day of free agency start, and you're trying to scramble to get things moving. So that's a really interesting point because. Obviously, Jacinta and I have been around WNBL for a long, long time, and it's one of the cons- one of the constants that's always kind of confused me is the short term nature of a majority of contracts. It's like one year, maybe two, I hate but it. that's about it. I hate it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I hear you struggle. I'm someone who likes to be very proactive and plan a lot too, and to have the instability of one year deals and free agency would do my head in. Makes me it makes me sick to my stomach because you also don't know. Um, which other teams are going to want your players. You, and yeah. you'd hope a lot because that means that you've got good players in your team, but you're, you kind of build around the players that you want to have back. And if they don't want to engage, you're rolling the dice not knowing if you're preparing to go out to free agency market with two players signed or five or six or seven. Yeah. So. It, it seems to me that one of the biggest issues is that there's a, there's a desire. The, the players want to see where the grass is ground, and I get that. But you also need to. I mean, to me, I'm looking at it from the outside. You look at an organisation, the Kings, the Flames, and you know I remember them from back in the day when Mike Robleski owned both teams yep. as well. It's there's a stability there. There's the potential to be able to have access to more resources because yep. you do have a shared services model. What's what's the bit that I'm missing? I I think the bit that or the way I've tried to rationalize at least in my mind is because I don't if the players won't do that and they just, that I all credit to them because they're betting on themselves and I think that's important because I think some of them maybe in the past have been burned with they signed a small deal, they've had an amazing MVP worthy season and they say, "Well, I can make triple this." And now I can't. And they, they feel handcuffed. So I understand it from that perspective. And I think every one of these players wants to bail on themselves. I also think the, the size of the salary cap as it currently stands and where the, the con, generally where average contracts sit, they, they are able to bet on themselves, right? And, and I'm not, you know, without going into detail around yeah. salaries, but I think then they can look at it and say, well... Okay, it's not if I if I bet on myself, it's not going to be, and if I fail, it's not that much. It might not be that much worse off if I go here to here. Whereas in in the NBL, if you have a two hundred thousand dollar player, three hundred thousand player, say that's that's a lot of money. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm not going to roll the dice on that. Yeah. But if it's someone maybe that's saying it's a forty thousand dollar deal, it says no, I, I will because it might work out for me. It might not, but it's not that much of a swing. That's how I've rationalised in my head, at least. And again, I, I love players who want to bet on themselves and have a great year. Um, and I think Healy Froling is a prime example of that, where she came here on a one-year deal and killed it yep. last year. 
And again, so we did everything we can to resign her, and we did. But I want to throw as many years as I could at her, right? Yeah. But mm. she's smart enough that, again, and she's having a great season, that she's bailing herself and it's going to work out for her. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to look to keep her, but I'm sure there's also going to be a number of teams that are vying for, for her services next year. So that's a that's a story that you see work out. Um, that's, again, how I've tried to rationalise it in my head. <laughs> but it's it's also hard when, yes, you try to to keep people around and, and they just want to want you deal. Again, that's if that's how they want to approach it, I completely understand because um, they might ask the same if a team wants to offer one year deal and they say, "Well, oh, I want three, so uh, it's not, we're not comfortable with that." Like, I, yeah. it's a two-way street. So, in these negotiations, it's no harm, no foul. It's, it's you know, you just got to find the sweet spot that works for the player and the agent and the team. And I think if you can find that happy marriage, great. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work out. That yeah. much. <laughs> I feel like, like uh, you know. Especially reflecting on the rosters of the WNBL this season and last season, we yeah. lost Ezzy, Darcy, and a couple of imports to the Europe. To Europe. Um, so now the way that you've explained it to us here, when it comes to you know you've got everyone under the one umbrella, but then you've got your different rosters for each team, different resources and different opportunities. It's easy to think that the NBL players have more flexibility to gamble. But the NBL salary is just as is competitive with Europe, whereas the WNBL, we yeah. can't compete with European yes. salaries, right? So it sounds like, now that you've explained it that way, retaining players for your for the Flames sounds a bit harder than retaining players for the Kings. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and, and there is that other issue, which is the European League, because, you know, it's a tough league, it's a competitive league. Um, you know, we've had a previous guest turn around and say that they, they believe it's the best league in the world. Mm. Um, and you know the money's there, the, the, and it gives players the opportunity to be able to play in Europe mm-hmm. and also in the WNBA. So yeah. there's there's a there's a big attraction there. Um, I really wonder what we can do in terms of engagement with with corporates to be able to build that 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 connection. Um, obviously, we heard Victoria talking about uh, a, a view towards you know, startups in the tech world, and, and I come from the tech world, so I can see that there's a lot of potential uh, link-ups there. Um, how do you do that here in Australia? I think it starts with a, a big media rights and broadcast deal, initially, at least in this league, and I think that's that also ties to the NBL because there aren't many, if any, profitable NBL teams to that mm. end. And because there's not a lucrative meteorites deal, we rely on people showing up in the venue. Yeah. And so the cost, if you're looking at it from a WNBL perspective, the cost are relatively the same. You still have to employ the players while the salary cap's smaller. Staff, venue costs, everything's still blown out um, and inflated, especially now. So without a, a large meteorites deal, like that's always going to be a challenge. Now, I think the deal that is in place now for, for both the NBL and the WNBL, I think it's on the path to, to grow into something that's that's bigger, particularly grassroots participation and viewership. Everything's on the trend for people wanting to watch basketball, but I think that's the only way. It's that and corporate investment, as you said, and finding creative ways that teams are able to um, create different revenue streams that are going to be able to lift and the ability to pay players more. Because yeah. that's how you keep them here is... They're paid more money. They're paid comparable with 
um, with other leagues, but it's also hard to to put that on teams to say you have to pay more if if, if revenue streams aren't flowing in the other end. So I think it's it's rising tides for everyone in order to get there, in order to pay the more money we need to be we need to be able to to see light at the end of the tunnel and have profitability, you know, and 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 getting to green or getting to break even that we can pay them more. Because, lo- again, that's what everyone wants, is to is to create a league, the best league, one of the best leagues in the world, yep. that, that players are compensated for their worth. And I think that's, re- that's really important. And and I think we're on a good trajectory, but it's it's a long, it's going to be a long burn, I think. Okay. Chris, thanks so much for your time. It's been great having you here and hearing the short version of your story <laughs> and your views on, 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 uh, on the business side of things. And at some point, it'd be great to get you to come back so we can talk in, in more detail about some of this stuff. And particularly, you know, I'd like to get more into the, the whole player issues and, and, and try for the fans. Because one of the things I think the fans don't understand is the complexities that you and, and a team have to go through to be able to put a group of talented athletes like we're looking at right now, on the floor. And I think it's it's important for the fans of the team to understand what's going on because then I think it helps to try and build that connection and so also to have a better understanding of the, the, the difficulties that show up sometimes. I mean, everybody wants to win every season. It, it's not going to happen. But I think if we can sort of shine a light on that a bit more, it would be really good for, for, for the overall fan base. would love to. And again, I'm... Um I, I, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you both for having me. I hope I, hope, I feel Thanks like I've talked. Else. I feel like I've <laughs> talked so much, but um, I love to come back. It's in, and and dig into some of that because you're right. It's 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 people see the great stuff that is produced on court, but there's so there's there's a lot of challenges that go on behind the scenes and things again out of your control in your control that you just got to adjust with on the fly. I think. What league wide? What we've seen this year, I think there's been a lot. <laughs> there's been a lot of challenges that have been thrown to teams along the way. But um, no, I would would happily come back. So we got to schedule that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, we should. And you never know. Out of it, you might find somebody who's going to some young kid who's going to start pestering you via email. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's what I've told. I've, I've I've done a lot of talks in my old high school, and I've I've told I've given everyone out my email. I said, if you want to get into sport, you just got to knock on the door. Because cracking, getting into this this industry is one of the hardest things, especially in Australia, particularly in the NBA. It, it is just it's persistence and hard work, and um, I got lucky, perfect, good timing, and so I, I, you know, I got a lot of people to thank. But yes, it's, it's uh, persistence is key. Did you Great. play for Manly? Me? Yeah. No. Oh. No. I thought when you met with the Kev- whites, yeah, with the whites. Kev- I was like, did you Kevin play for Manly? No, I played with them. I played with them in school. In oh, high school. <laughs> Balkan Hills boys. Sydney, Scots College. Scots College. Scots there you College. Go. I thought they were Balkan Hills boys for no. some reason. No. Anyway, that's Isaac digging Humphreys, into everyone came. Everyone came through. So. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. That uh, recruiter Scots College. <laughs> that would have been an awesome time to oh, play yes. high school basketball. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thank it's you very been much. Great having you here. Of course. Okay, Jacinta, it's actually been a lot of fun doing this, even though we've had all sorts of interesting interruptions <laughs> through oh, the yeah. show. 
Oh, yeah. You know, we've had the, the MC and the DJ on the decks doing their sound check. Uh, we can see all of the players doing their pre-warm-up warm-ups. You know, with the, you've got the flames out there with the resistance bands. You can see it's all hands on deck. They've got all the coaches are out. The, the S&C coaches are out. Yep. Um, I love seeing this part of game day, the behind the scenes. And you know how Chris kind of touched on... Uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of people to get get it to game day. You know what I mean? It yeah. doesn't. Uh, what you see on the court, um, you know, there's a lot of diff backstage work that goes on to make that stuff happen. So I, I really like the point you made to help have the fans have a better understanding of the complexities and the variables and the work that goes into seeing this game day. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important because it's it's like we said, it's not just rolling in the door and watch the game. There's so much more that goes on. Um, and you're right. It's kind of, I suppose you and I have gotten spoiled over the years where we've had the opportunity to see all this prep, which normally the fans don't get the opportunity to come in and see. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I wonder if that's another uh, idea for some fan engagement of having some extra access to yeah. the warm-up and stuff. Because even we're watching them now, the resistance fans, um, it's all very... Uh, targeted things, you know, it's it's all very t um, specific warm-ups and skills for targeted areas uh, and targeted, you know, game skills that I, I don't think even the regular people, even young aspiring ballers should come and watch it so they can understand, yeah, you know, what, what it takes. Absolutely. Now, anyway, Jacinta, as always, it's been great. This is our last podcast for 2022. We're going to take a couple of weeks off. We'll be back in mid-January. And when we come back, we're going to have a few interesting, um, a few interesting podcasts that we're going to come, we're going to be releasing. A little bit different, and hopefully you guys will find it as interesting as we we're finding preparing and getting ready for them. In the meantime, everyone, please have a fantastic New Year to all our fans, listeners, subscribers, previous guests, to you, Jacinta, and to our producer, Mary. Hope you have a fantastic new year and we'll see you in the middle of January.